Ann Coulter's speech at the University of California, Berkeley, has been canceled. Sort of. The conservative commentator told media outlets she still plans on visiting the campus today to talk to supporters, and meanwhile, groups on the right are planning rallies. It all comes after the university, and then the student groups that originally invited her withdrew their support for a more formal speech, citing security concerns. It fits into what has become a pattern on college campuses where the First Amendment is increasingly being tested. Bomb-throwing conservatives are invited to speak and are greeted with protests and even violence. Sometimes the speech goes on, and sometimes it doesn't. The campus clashes are raising a host of First Amendment issues, and with us to sort those out are Michael Dorff, a professor at Cornell University Law School, and Eugene Volokh, a professor at UCLA School of Law. Uh, welcome to you both. Mike, let's start with just kind of the basic First Amendment principles here. What obligation does a public university have to accommodate a controversial speaker? A public university is a state actor. That means it's bound by the Constitution, including the First Amendment, which applies to state actors in virtue of the 14th Amendment. And so, um, in general, the state uh, can exclude people from property, but not from so-called public fora. Uh, university campus is not entirely a public forum, but generally uh, the way that they're structured, uh, student groups are entitled to invite outside speakers. And so that means that the university is entitled to enforce uh, what the doctrine calls uh, content-neutral, reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions. So it doesn't mean anybody can give a speech at any time, anywhere, but if a student group invites a speaker, then the university has to try to accommodate and can't exclude based on disagreement with the perspective of the speaker. Eugene, university officials said that the Berkeley College Republicans invited culture without following the rules, which were notifying campus officials in advance and failing to submit to a security assessment so they could determine a suitable time and place for the event. Is that a good reason for their first refusal to have the speech? Eugene? So content-neutral policies were not followed, then yes, that would be a permissible reason in many situations. But uh, the college Republicans are very much disagree with that. Uh, they say they indeed gave uh, um, the university proper notice about that, uh, and that the real reason the university gave isn't that, uh, and the actual reason for, for the university's action isn't that, well, you didn't submit it in time, it's that that uh, we're afraid that there will be this kind of disruption, and they were essentially, the university was caving in to this content-based fear of disruption, the fear uh, that, the, that the content will draw people who will be disruptive. Uh, so uh, that's the uh, college Republicans' position on the facts, and from what little uh, I've seen of the, of the evidence, uh, there's a lawsuit now filed, so maybe we'll get more of information. They have a pretty credible claim that they had alerted the university in plenty of time. Well, Mike, at what point can a university say, as I, as I think uh, Berkeley did in this case, we can't guarantee safety, um, that, that there's so much of a threat of violence that even though uh, you know, normally we would accommodate the speaker, uh, we need to cancel it because we're, we're genuinely concerned that somebody's going to get hurt? Well, I think it's useful to distinguish two sorts of disputes here. 
One is the factual dispute to which uh, my friend Eugene referred, right? There's a question of what were the actual motives of the university officials who've now been sued. Uh, so, you know, were they actually concerned about safety? But even at, uh, if university officials are concerned about safety, uh, which is a legitimate concern and at some point would justify postponing or uh, moving a speaker, there is a question of, um, you know, whether you put the onus on the speaker or whether you uh, take additional measures. The the law frowns upon what's sometimes referred to as the heckler's veto, right? You don't want to say that because people are opposed to this speaker, that creates a safety concern, and that means that uh, we can shut it down. So even if the university officials were not trying to censor Ann Coulter or the student group, uh, they do have some obligation to try to protect their speech uh, by first going after the people who are going to cause the, the risk to safety. Eugene, what is the answer, if there is one, to these violent outbursts that are taking place not just at Berkeley but at other campuses in the country? Well, one thing that we know from life and from psychology is that behavior that is rewarded is repeated. Uh, that uh, when uh, uh, people learn that if they want to shut down a speaker, all they need to do is even sometimes just threaten violence. Some of these things end up being canceled because of anonymous threats that are submitted. Or sometimes you actually need to show up at one of these things and act violently. Uh, then in that case, uh, lots of groups uh, with lots of political views will, will uh, uh, learn the lesson from that, that uh, uh, this is an effective technique. And the only way to prevent this technique from working, the only way to deter future violence and future such threats of violence that suppress speech is to say, we're going to protect the speaker, we're going to allow the speaker to come, we're going to assure that there's enough of a police presence uh, to protect the speaker, and if people act violently, they will be arrested. If they're students, they will be disciplined, they might be expelled, uh, and uh, uh, we're not going to tolerate this. Uh, the more you give in to the thugs, the more likely not only the, th the thugs will themselves repeat their actions, but that other people will start engaging in thuggish tactics in order to um, uh, in, in order to take advantage of this avenue for speech suppression. I will say the lawsuit against UC Berkeley claims, and again, it's just a claim at this point, but that the Berkeley police basically have a policy of not intervening, even when people get violent, uh, uh, unless uh, people's lives are, are, are in danger. Uh, and that seems to suggest that the message being sent is if you want to react violently to a police approach uh, uh, to police uh, to, to a speaker uh, that in that case uh, uh, that in that case you're going to get away with it and it's unsurprising that as a result we're getting more such violent reactions Mike uh, former Democratic National Committee chairman Howard Dean recently tweeted that uh, hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment and that drew a lot of controversy and you had a pretty provocative uh, interesting post about that I, I think you, you disagree with him on that as a matter of constitutional law but uh, what do you think about the notion about whether hate speech and this may or may not be hate speech by Ann Coulter uh, whether that should be protected by the First Amendment yes let me say for two things first I completely agree with your summary. That is, hate speech is not a category of unprotected speech in the United States. We, Our Constitution has been construed to protect what's sometimes called hate speech. There's no doubt about that. Howard Dean was clearly wrong about that. Second, I want to say that I actually agree with the American approach. What I wrote, though, was that the American approach is an outlier in the democratic world, virtually every other constitutional democracy, including places that we would consider to be 
pretty much open societies like Canada, the United Kingdom, uh, for example, uh, do ha- restrict what they call hate speech um, in ways that prevent people from defaming individuals on the basis of uh, group characteristics or uh, causing uh, humiliation on, the, on those grounds, uh, and that all I was suggesting was that we oughtn't to uh, reflexively say, well, of course, hate speech ought to be protected just because it is protected. Mike, we're going to leave, we're gonna have to leave it there. Thank you so much to our guests, uh, law professors Michael Dorff and Eugene Volokh. Uh, that's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. Coming up on Bloomberg Radio, Bloomberg, Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson. Stay tuned for that. This is Bloomberg.